0: Welcome to the program, I'm Jeff Shechtman. As we've discussed before on this program, parenting has gone from something natural to something that's become a job with far too many specific rules, fears, and requirements. In fact, it's more than the sum total of all the rules. It's a partnership with our kids, a kind of collaboration that makes both parent and child stronger. That's a large part of the approach talked about by my guest, Dr. Ross Green. Ross Green is the New York Times bestselling author of The Explosive Child and Lost at School and Lost and Found. He's the originator of the innovative research-based model now called Collaborative and Proactive Solutions. And he's the author of a new book entitled Raising Human Beings, Creating a Collaborative Partnership with Your Child. Dr. Ross Green, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Talk a little bit first about this way in which we have turned parenting kind of into a verb, into a job with all sorts of rules and regulations and the problems that are inherent in that.
1: Well, I'm not sure how many rules and regulations there are, but I think that like a lot of things these days, there's a lot being said about parenting. Um, I think it's a good thing to think about what kind of parent you want to be, rather than just to parent on instinct or on impulse. So I don't think it's a bad thing to think about what kind of parent you want to be. Like anything, I guess you can think about it too much and get really overwhelmed with all the advice that's being tossed your way, and I certainly didn't want to contribute to that in this book. But I do think it's a good thing to think about what kind of parent you want to be and what Kind of kid you're trying to raise.
0: Mm -hmm. Talk about it in that regard this idea of trying to kind of sculpt a child either in in the image of the parent or trying to get the child to to turn out a certain way.
1: Well, I think that that's a myth that parents Mm -hmm. have that kind of control. Um, I think that there are parents who still operate under that delusion. But as I talk about in the book, uh, kids are already somebody when they pop out. Um, They have a personality already. They have preferences already. Uh, At some point, their skills will emerge. And um, I find that the more parents shoot for control over a kid's outcome, the less influence they have. I think what you're shooting for as a parent is influence. And I think that when it comes to having influence over your child's outcome, that's going to be a balance between who your kid is and your own wisdom and experience and values. That's what we parents bring to the table. And how to balance those two is what I talk about throughout the book.
0: And when you talk about a collaborative partnership, expand on what it is that you're talking about.
1: Well, I find that, um, you know, parents exert, influence through their expectations. Um, One of the things people sometimes get wrong about my work is that they think it means dropping all of expectations. You can't parent without expectations. It's how you handle unmet expectations or what I call unsolved problems. That's where the rubber really meets the road. And you can do that in one of two ways. You can do it unilaterally or you can do it collaboratively. And in Raising Human Beings, I'm strongly encouraging the latter option. When you're solving a problem unilaterally, that usually involves the imposition of adult will. It usually involves power. And um, when you're solving problems collaboratively, instead, it's a partnership. Uh, This is is teamwork. Y'all are teammates. You and your kid are working together to solve the problems that affect his or her life. This is a partnership. And I find that that's a much more effective way to have the kind of influence that all parents are looking for.
0: And talk a little bit about where the problems arise. What are the mistakes that parents make that that really runs counter sometimes to this kind of collaborative effort?
1: Well, I think that there are parents who are so wrapped up in being in complete control that they lose sight of who their kid is, and they try to get their kid to be somebody who their kid is not. I would say that that is big mistake, number one. Um, big mistake number two is that when a kid is having difficulty meeting expectations, it's because something's getting in the way. It's not that the expectation is necessarily a bad one, although... You do want to give thought to whether your kid is actually capable of meeting your expectations. No expectation is a good one if your kid can't meet it. But what I find that we parents often do, um, and this is a big mistake, is we just try to sort of use our power and our will to try to make it so when we would be a whole lot better off if we were talking to the kid and listening and exploring what's getting in the way, what's making it hard for you to meet that expectation, and coming up with solutions that not only took our concerns into account, we we adults have very important concerns about why we want kids to meet certain expectations, but also the kids' concerns into account about what's making it hard for them to meet a given expectation. I find that when that kind of give-and-take is taking place, I find that when parents are inquiring and listening and making the kid feel heard, Kids are a whole lot more receptive to the idea of hearing what the parent has to say and working together to solve problems.
0: Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the, the aspect of this with regards to parents and how it, that the rapidly changing nature of the world today impacts on, on what we're talking about, that, that the underpinnings are constantly shifting.
1: Well, um, I find that... Um, Back in the fifties, it was rock and roll. And, um, in the sixties, it was long hair. Um, these days it's social media. I, I find that there's always something new that kids are getting turned on to that parents are concerned about because it's not what we faced when we were their age. And that's going to be true with every generation. Um, bottom line is parents still have expectations and kids still have concerns about why they want to do what they want to do and when there is no meeting of the minds and when we're not listening to each other that's when conflict occurs and as it relates to the world um goodness that's when conflict occurs in the world as well this is not just parents and kids in this book parents and kids are a major focal point but in some respects they're just a metaphor for what causes conflict between all human beings and that is we don't listen to each other we don't take each other's concerns into account we try to use power to um, make it our way that's when conflict happens and bottom line is if the concerns of both parties in a given unsolved problem aren't addressed I promise this problem is not yet solved.
0: How much is this a bigger problem today than it might have been 30, 40 years ago?
1: Um, I think that there are a lot of human beings who are concerned about the species these days. Now, whether that's because um, of a rise in terrorist attacks or whether it's because of what we're told is a bad case that most of us are suffering from of empathy fatigue or compassion fatigue, or whether it's because we have a presidential candidate who seems to be disparaging virtually every person of every gender or um, ethnicity. Um, I think people are worried about the species these days and how we're treating each other. And that's why another big part of the book is talking about how when we are parenting in a collaborative fashion with our kids, we are also teaching the skills that are on the better side of human nature, skills like empathy and appreciating how one's behavior is affecting other people and resolving disagreements in ways that don't involve conflict and taking another person's perspective. When those skills are present, we see the better side of human nature. Mm -hmm. And when those skills are absent, we don't. But we seem to have forgotten that those skills need to be taught and practiced and modeled. And so one of the questions I've been asking a lot these days, including in raising human beings, is, are the ways in which we are going about parenting and teaching and disciplining and interacting with our kids, teaching those skills?
0: (laughs) And are there skills that can be taught, and how does one go about teaching them? Modeling them is one aspect of it, certainly, but what about teaching them in the abstract?
1: I think you are teaching those skills in a very explicit way when you are solving problems collaboratively, using the three steps that I've been talking about for a long time, beginning with my first book, The Explosive Child, which was 18 years ago, But continuing with this one, and those three steps are called the empathy step, the define adult concern step, and the invitation step. But the names of the steps don't matter quite so much as the ingredients. The main ingredient of the empathy step is that this is where the adult is gathering information from the kid about the kid's concern or perspective Mm -hmm. or point of view, about a given unsolved problem. Kids have information we very badly need if we want to get this problem solved. Um, It's where the kid's voice gets heard. You know, one of the things we're hearing about these days is that there's a lot of people whose voices aren't feeling heard. I wonder why. In the define adult concern step, this is where the adult is entering his or her concern into perspective. This is where adults have influence. This is where kids learn to be empathic. This is where kids learn to take another person's concern into account to appreciate how their behavior is affecting other people. In the invitation, this is where kid and adult are collaborating on a solution, but one that is mutually satisfactory, one that takes into account the concerns of both parties. And this is where kids learn how to resolve disagreements in ways that don't involve conflict. When you're solving problems with these steps, you're teaching those skills very explicitly, and you are also calling into question the notion that parent-child conflict is inevitable. I actually don't think parent-child conflict is inevitable. I think it totally depends on how we parents go about solving those problems. Um, It doesn't have to be a conflictual thing. It's just a problem that needs to be solved, and then it comes down to how are you going about solving those problems.
0: What are the parallels in terms of peers solving problems between each other, and how is that related to the parent-child relationship?
1: Um, Well, I think that when you're parenting, you are teaching skills. You are modeling certain things. But the same, same three steps can be very productively applied to interactions between kids, to interactions between adults, And even to interactions between nations, um, we all want our voice to be heard. We all want our concerns to be addressed. Um, None of us likes to have someone else impose their will on us. And that goes for parent-child interactions, kid-kid interactions, adult-adult interactions. We all need to get a whole lot better at this.
0: How much do generational memes play a role in this we hear so much today about millennials are this gen xers are this how much is that part of the equation
1: well i think that parenting has evolved i think that kids back in the day were commodities um now i think we appreciate that kids are not commodities um that it's not a bad thing to listen to what a kid has to say and to take a kid's concerns into account um I think people have always been worried about the upcoming generation. We always, haven't always had great data on upcoming generations. We do have data now telling us that college students are significantly less empathic than they were um, 10, 15 years ago, that they are significantly more narcissistic than they were 10 or 15 years ago. We seem to have replaced we I don't think any of us would view that as a wonderful outcome. Um, I think that um, it's a good idea to look at whether upcoming generations are as empathic as we would like them to be, whether they are able to work as a team. Some of the research that's coming out on what employers are looking Mm -hmm. for in future employees tells us that they're looking for people who know how to collaborate and know how to solve problems together. So what I'm writing about in Raising Human Beings is really not so off the wall, not only as it relates to generations of the future and the qualities we're looking for in our kids, but also the qualities employers are looking for in future employees.
0: And of course, one of the things that we're hearing more and more about in education today is this idea of, of collaboration, whether it's in a project-based format or, or yes. whether it's in just the classroom in general, that collaboration is a key not only to succeeding in today's classroom, but as you say, succeeding in today's workplace.
1: No, no question about it. Uh, education has gone through quite a transformation mm-hmm as it relates to not just having a teacher stand up in front of the room and um, uh, dispense brilliance. Um, Instead, what almost all classroom teachers now appreciate is that there are a lot more things going on in the classroom than the dispensing of information. There's helping human beings learn how to work together and collaborate with each other. In raising human beings, what I'm doing is I'm extending that to how we parent.
0: Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about brain research and, and general research today that really is supportive of so many of these findings that we've been talking about.
1: Well, probably the most important thing the research says to me as a child psychologist who's been working with very behaviorally challenging kids for a very long time is that we've been way too focused on motivation, as the key to what's going on with a kid who's not doing well. What the research tells us is that it's really skills that are getting in the way for kids who have difficulty meeting our expectations. Now, as it relates to the behaviorally challenging ones that I've been working for forever, um, it's, it's skills in a whole variety of different domains, social skills, language processing, communication skills, the skills to regulate our emotions, the skills to be flexible and adaptable. But those are the very same skills that come into play when more typical kids are having difficulty doing well. Why is that important? Because if that brain research is to be believed, and it is to be believed, it's very compelling, and we're not just talking about a couple dozen studies here, we're talking about a mountain of research, mm-hmm. then it may suggest to us that um, what we've been doing for a very long time when kids have been having difficulty meeting our expectations, and what we've been doing for a very long time has been mostly using carrot and stick approaches, rewards and punishments, which are motivational may not have actually been what the doctor ordered. Um, if, If kids who are having difficulty doing well are having difficulty mastering some of the skills that are required for doing well, carrots and sticks don't teach those skills. Rewards and punishments don't teach those skills. Stickers don't. Timeouts don't. Detentions don't. Suspensions don't. Hitting a kid doesn't teach those skills. Um, we need to take a much closer look at strategies that do help us teach those skills. And one of the things this well-researched model that's talked about in Raising Human Beings, one of the things the research tells us about that model is that it's a very effective way to teach skills and the kinds of skills that we've been talking about so far. So this is a book and a model that is very oriented toward what the brain research has been telling us about kids for a pretty long time now.
0: What are you finding with respect to the disparity between different socioeconomic groups and how it relates to what we've been talking about?
1: Well, if our research is to be believed, um, then implementing the model described in Raising Human Beings is not different across different socioeconomic groups. We do know in a very rough way that different socioeconomic groups do Have uh, different inclinations toward physical punishment, Um, and physical punishment doesn't teach any of the skills that I talk about in raising human beings. Um, Beyond that, I'm not sure how much socioeconomic status has to do with this. I would say that when you are stressed by your neighborhood or by putting food on the table, Um, the bandwidth that you have for thinking about what kind of a parent you want to be may be a bit stretched. But I also find that parents of a high socioeconomic status are frequently very distracted as well because they've got stressors of their own, stressors that are related to work and being really, really busy. And so to tell you the truth, while the stressors may be different, I find that everybody's way too busy that everybody needs to take time to think about what kind of parent they want to be. And if we don't have time to think about that, if we're so stressed and so busy that we don't have time to think about what are we trying to accomplish here as parents, then that's a pretty sad commentary on where we've ended up.
0: The other aspect of that, though, is something you touched on before, and that is the the cultural environment and the coarsening of the culture and the degree to which that plays a role in this, and that that's different with the different socioeconomic groups.
1: It is, although I think um, we, as a as a general theme of our the current status of Western society, a lot of people, including David Brooks, would say that we've become very status and achievement oriented. Um, and when you're status and achievement oriented, I think it makes it a little harder. To think about yourself as a human and to let your humanity shine through and those skills that I was talking about earlier. I don't think that they're mutually exclusive, but I do think that being status and achievement oriented does take some of the focus away from what kind of human being you want to be and, and what kind of human being you want to raise.
0: Dr. Ross Green, the book is Raising Human Beings, Creating a Collaborative Partnership with Your Child. Ross, I thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: Thanks very much for having me on.
0: Thank you.